0: Welcome to The People's Show. Stan 650, your home of the Canucks. Broadcasting from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Busy show today. Kristen Shelton will join us from ESPN in a couple of minutes. Barkley Parnetta, the People's GM from your Vancouver Giants in the second half of the show, Ken Priestley, our Mr. Fix-It from Dunbar Lumber, all on the way in the show today. And it's all going good for your Vancouver Canucks on the heels of a 4-3 overtime win against the New York Islanders. What else should we talk about other than Elias Pettersson's contract? Why not, guys? Let's dip back to the old goodies. Play the hits, baby. EP40's contract. Well, the thing is, uh, we have a unique perspective on this show. Our good friend, Dominic Shimada, who's not running the show today. Elon, intern Joseph as well, uh, running the show today. You know, we joke Dom is the uh, producer of 32 Thoughts. Why not help us sometime, Dom? And, and, And Dom's chiming in here. Uh, you'll hear this tomorrow when it gets released on Thirty Two Thoughts, but an an early scoop on what uh, Elliot and Jeff are going to be talking about tomorrow.
1: Here's what Elliot. I think to there's just a lot of places that contracts. this could go right now, and one of the places I, I think it can go is Turn, and he's represented by CAA, and earlier this year they had a negotiation with Owen Power. And one of the reasons the Owen power negotiation got done was because the Buffalo Sabers were willing to take seven years instead of eight, which allowed power to become an unrestricted free agent at the age of 29. If Pedersen signs a four year deal, he will become a UFA again, right before he turns 29. And I always, now that I know that his agents think that's important, and make a note of it because the surest predictor of future behavior is past behavior do I think that Pedersen could sign an eight-year deal yeah I, I think he could but I also think it's possible that they look at it and say why don't you do the Matthews sign four years at a big number and then we can do this again so you get another big one while you're still in your prime so I think that is a possibility Now, the other thing here is, initially, I believe that the Canucks and Patterson were willing to wait until they knew for sure that the cap was going up into the 87-88 range, just so that everybody knew exactly what the number was going to be. Like, for example, with Pierre-Luc Dubois, when he was traded from Minnesota to L.A., they waited until the last possible second to get that deal done to see if there was going to be any flexibility on the cap this year. And when they knew there wasn't, they made the deal. So, I again, I, I, I think part of this is, should we wait until the cap number gets done before we officially sign the deal? I, I think there was talk about that, but I also think there's been, eh, we kind of know where it is, Let's just do it and get it done so we have something to celebrate here. So I think there are some differing possibilities. But at the end of the day, I think the way the Canucks have started the season, they've made it very clear, and I think Patterson's made it very clear, we want this to happen. So barring a major swerve, it's going to get done. The questions are term and when. But we're going there.
0: That's Elliot Friedman, uh, which you'll hear on the 32 Thoughts podcast tomorrow when it drops to your local podcatchers. uh, Part of a bigger discussion uh, on the pod, but we'll look for the full drop tomorrow. But there's an update a bit, and and we're looking for these little incremental updates, and what happens is, okay, well... If you get a bit of morsel sort of information, I'll say, go sign him to this. Go sign him to this, and a little glean into the potential uh, mindset from the Pedersen camp. I know Sat was talking about this last night as well on Canuck Central before the game. You can always go grab their pod as well, uh, wherever you grab your pods, Spotify or uh, Apple uh, on Canuck Central. And Leaf Hater Steve's texting in here, give Pedersen 12 if he's planning on signing for eight, and it's always going to be the conversation, right? Can you get your guy to sign for the term you want? But looking longly down the table is it always going to be dictated by the star player in Elias Pedersen. And now if you're looking at a four-year contract that lines up right before he turns 30 years old, 12 by eight suddenly doesn't sound doable, but is it going to be in the neighborhood of 12 anyways? 11.5, somewhere around that range. Uh, you can chime in with your thoughts, 650-650. And you look at the early season right now. I, I know we all tweeted the, gra- the the graphic yesterday. Patterson, Hughes, Miller, they're all leading the league right now. Well, go look around the league of the top 20 scorers that are all set to get paid. Uh, let's get into that, including someone like William Nylander uh, with uh, our, our good friend, Christian uh, Shilton joins us now from ESPN. Christian, how are you? I'm good Garo uh just tremendous uh just talking about the the early season uh, conversations uh here in Vancouver we started talking about uh, Elias Petterson's uh, contract which you know if to, to me it feels like the story of the season um, so far that you know Petterson he's he's getting set to get paid Sam Reinhart's set to get paid Jake Gensel Brock Besser Philip Pronik, William Nylander, and you look at the scoring race right now and they're all in the top 20 all these guys that are set to uh get big contracts here. are are all thriving to begin the year.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's um, definitely a trend that guys who want to see some extra zeros come through on the next contract seem to be uh, really out there working for it. And I think it's just really a reflection also of how lucky we are to be watching uh, the level of play from this sort of class of of skaters that – we've been kind of waiting on them to get to that point, you know, a really consistent high-end play, especially Mm -hmm. if you look at Elias Pettersson, he's obviously faced, uh, you know, his ups and downs. He's A lot like William Nylander has a Canadian market uh, place where, you know, there's a lot of expectation and now you're really seeing these guys kind of raise the bar uh, and be able to um, show why they deserve the kind of payday that they're going to be looking for. And, what those teams ultimately, how much they are able to value these players, how much they are um, able to, um, I guess, give back in terms of what, you know, their long-term, um, in terms of what their their long-term potential is, we're going to see. But we know it's not one year that makes any player. We know it's not just that, uh, you know, you can't base an entire contract off of one great season but when you are going into negotiations you want to obviously have the the most uh upper hand that you can as a player and for those guys being able to show the quality of play uh that's happening this season you can't think of uh of a better ace to have uh, in the hole for for them if they can keep it up i mean we're only a month in it's Mm -hmm. crazy to think but uh, we could even still see better from some
0: of these guys too. We're, we're living in dying and dying and breathing by every uh, update in the Elias Patterson contract, and it feels like there's a you know a, a new wrinkle, a new turn every you know ten days, two weeks. Uh, what's it like in Toronto with with William Nylander as, as far as the the process of of solving that one, or is it something that, that you would expect extends into the off season? Well,
2: you know, I, I think there's a similar. Uh, you know, there's a similar crowd that is following every single detail. There's always new rumors, there's new comparables, there's new thoughts. Of course, um, Nylander, as we all remember, when he, uh, you know, had his previous negotiation with the Leafs and, um, you know, he had his holdout, uh, as people like to constantly bring up, that he sort of dug his heels in and, and the Leafs ultimately had to come to him, uh, you know, with a number that would satisfy and he wasn't afraid to kind of stand up for himself in that way. And I would not be surprised if that's what happens again here in Toronto, Um, simply because uh, the Leafs are up against the salary cap. We don't quite know yet what that number is going to look like in terms of how much it inflates, how much space are the Leafs going to have? What are they thinking about long-term When it comes to Mitch Marner, because his contract is coming up as well, you've also got to think about your blue line and how you're going to kind of piece that group together uh, because there's definitely, um, you know, some veterans there that are going to be aging out and you're going to need young players. Uh, So, you know, there's a lot that's going to go into this Nylander contract and I just don't know that they're going to be able to come to terms on something, especially after what they just did with Austin Matthews, getting that done, I don't know if they're going to be able to get there with Nylander until the offseason, and he might have to, you know, kind of put that pressure on again and and sort of say, I'm not going to undervalue myself. I'm not going to take a on discount. Why would I? Austin Matthews didn't have to. Mitch Marner didn't have to. So why would I have to, especially when right now, that's a guy who has been producing in the timely moments this year how many uh, games have we seen Nylander? I really think he's one of the most riskier, uh, on Charles roster. So he thrived in these early goings, and he does have a history of being inconsistent. So that's big for him. And I would just think that when it comes to the contract, I think there's an expectation that it's going to go to the offseason and that there will maybe be a little bit of friction there like last time. So I think Torontonian fans are prepared for that. But as you say, it's still, you know, there's every single update, every single week there's something new, some new hypothesis. So I guess we'll see uh, who comes out on the winning end there.
0: It it feels so bizarre uh, just looking at that core four, right, the big four there in Toronto. And, you know, there's the statements back then with Dubis of like they can and will get them all done. And and, and it was the group. And it feels it would be so underwhelming. Uh, to, to have it end with one of them just leaving rather than like a trade because there's been so much talk of Marner and, and someone's got to go. And it, it just feels odd it's just like Nylander rides off to the sunset and go signs elsewhere.
2: Yeah, I definitely could see where that would feel a bit uh, like a denouement after you know such high hopes that the Leafs have had for these players to play well together and to deliver for this city what it hasn't seen in so long. And it's really felt like it's been a constant merry-go-round of who's on the trading block this year or this month or this week, even which player is the most expendable, who could the Leafs win without. And um, I, I think that's the reality of a flat cap world. I wonder, like, I'm sure a lot of teams would wonder what might've happened if not for COVID and if there hadn't been, Uh, you know, that flat cap situation for much longer than anyone expected. How might that have influenced things? Uh, You know, coulda, woulda, shoulda, we'll never know for sure. So it's, it's a moot point in that sense. But I would just think that if there was a trade market that was viable for, you know, some of these players that we talk about, I'm sure there might have been a move by now. But the fact that there wasn't sort of suggests that it was never really going to be possible a because the Leafs want to win and, and you don't want to trade good players just for the sake of trading them and you know why bring in two guys on lesser contracts to do you know a lesser job than what one great player can do and and absolutely Matthews, Marner, Nylander they're all great players and they deserve to be compensated as such it's just uh, I think that when you look around the league, and you know Edmonton's a great example of uh, a team that has invested a ton in its top talents, and they're you know at them and and what's gone wrong. So uh, I think the Leafs will want to avoid that. They will want to avoid um, being too top heavy, uh, you know, in the long term. But at the same time, these guys started as teenagers and they're not teenagers anymore, you know, and the Leafs have to evolve and they have to think about their future up front. And as I mentioned before on the blue line, because there's going to be jobs opening up there and and they're going to need cash for that. So uh, Brad Trillibing definitely has, uh, has maybe some tough decisions to make, but that's, you know, that's the nature of of being in a market like Toronto and, and a team that's built like Toronto.
0: Talking to Kristen Chilton from ESP and joining us here on the People Show. Uh, you mentioned the Oilers and obviously we're here in Vancouver, they're having their success. What do you is like the the talk of the league right now? Is it the Oilers failures, the Canucks success, uh, or is there another uh, team that you're keeping an eye on?
2: Well, I think those two are, are huge. Um, you know, I I'm putting together right now sort of a piece on, you know, the teams that were most kind of underwhelming or the ones that were most surprisingly poor when we thought they'd be great. And Edmonton has to be right near the top of that list. I mean, how many pundits would have suggested that they're, you know, in line to uh, compete for a Stanley Cup this year? Everything seemed uh, to be heading in that direction for them. And now, you know, there's, there's always that boost, the new coach boost. I mean, we saw it. Uh, We've seen it in Vancouver, certainly, Bruce Boudreau not that long ago. Uh, You know, you get that adrenaline, you know, that new, new, new energy. And that's obviously rubbing off on the Oilers right now. But can they sustain it? I mean, we haven't even hit American Thanksgiving yet. So uh, I I think that's a real um, focal point around the uh, around the NHL. And even we just had the GMs up here uh, in, in Toronto for one of their meetings and just to talk there as well as is just you know teams trying to find their groove i spoke with kevin adams from buffalo and and just sort of asked him about his thoughts on a team that was really supposed to be a contender and he's like we've had our ups and downs it hasn't been uh you know the kind of straight line trajectory that maybe we were expecting uh and that's another you know point around the league i think as well in terms of teams that maybe haven't uh, reach that level of success early on that was expected of them and then you have teams like vancouver mm-hmm. i have my uh you know I, we have power rankings that come out every friday and uh, we were doing this week i was picking a positive surprise for every team and i just put vancouver as the positive surprise of the year so far to me at least because i knew that they had talent but the way that things have come together the fact that you could point to, uh, you know, a, a potential Norris candidate and you can point to an incredible goaltender and you can point to what um, Elias Patterson's is doing and you can point to so many factors coming together finally at the same time for Vancouver. It's, it's just, it's felt like talk, it's finally got them uh, to a place where a, a, a hockey, you know, a, just a market that loves hockey now has a team that it can really get pride and really root for. And I, I think that that's another uh, real point around the league of what, you know, Canadian teams being good is a great thing for the NHL. And when you see a team like Vancouver really stepping up amid struggles in places like Calgary and Edmonton uh, and, you know, a little bit here and there, even in Toronto, it's uh, I, I just think that Vancouver has definitely, even on, uh, you know, even in the U.S., it's definitely a a team that has drawn a lot of conversation, uh, and really positively so, because it's hard to ignore uh, the way that these young players uh, are producing right now, and and just the way that uh, Vancouver has really, I think at least, um, proven that all those years of of building and growing and evolving and maturing, uh, they're paying off now.
0: What's on your radar that could impact the season here moving forward, right? like I think we're all kind of waiting what Tampa looks like once Vasilevsky comes back. You know, Patrick Kane's kind of waiting in the wings, and he's whittling down his his list, and there's a couple of injuries out, and Nico is going to come back at some point. Tate Thompson comes back at some point. What's on your radar that could impact what the next two months of the season looks like?
2: Yeah, you know, my first thing is always that I like to use sort of the end of November as mm-hmm. that point where we stopped sort of with the, the quote-unquote the funny business. Like I look at how Detroit started the year where you had, you know, this incredible scoring rate and it felt like they couldn't miss and,
1: you know, you're
2: you're on a high almost. And then everybody starts to, to settle in and slowly you see some of these teams that were really benefiting from early season surges. Anaheim is another great example uh, of that, of teams that maybe just, you know, you felt like they were skewed a little bit too well one way, and now that's when you start to come down to earth because this is where you know injuries have uh, you know happened for some teams. But as you say, guys are getting healthy again. There's going to be reinforcements coming into the mix. What does that do? Uh, not only for the teams that want to compete for you know um, playoff position and into the cup conversation, but also you know look at a team like New Jersey their power play has really been such a catalyst for them in their success. You don't necessarily know that if you don't look into the numbers. You might think, oh, wow, you know, Jack Hughes, he's someone who's also dealt with injury, of course. Um, You might just think, oh, you know, they're they're having such a great year, but why? And so on my radar is really I want to separate the contenders from the pretenders, and that's focusing on what teams, when you actually look at their underlying numbers, is it the five-on-five play that's driving it, or is it special teams? Is it a hot goaltender and one hot scorer, or is it a collective effort? And Tampa is another great example of a team where, yes, you're missing your starting goaltender, but is it as bad as it looks, or is it you know, something that, because the Lightning are the Lightning, that they're going to be able to come out of, given the level of talent that they have, Nikita Kucherov obviously has had a great start, but it's not going to be enough if it's just him, right? So it's for me, I want to see those true contenders emerge, the ones that we're going to be still talking about today and the ones we're going to be talking about in March and April. And uh, I, I think, you know, Boston is another one. Colorado is, is so up and down. Like some of these veteran teams at both ends of the spectrum, Boston being as good as they are, Colorado being – kind of almost flipping into that mushy middle almost you look at that loss to St. Louis you're getting you know give up two hat tricks and an 8-2 loss I mean that's just so uncharacteristic of the avalanche so um I would say that's the first thing for me and then kind of the second thing is it feels like there's a lot of teams benefiting from the youth movement and Washington to me is the latest one where you look at um mcmichael and protis and some of these guys that have really stepped up amid you know nick backstrom being out and slow starts there for ovechkin and uh you know tom wilson and and some of those top performers that you would expect but it's like the young guys are really the ones that are emerging obviously we've talked now about about vancouver and and that's one but Anaheim is another good example of that. Uh, you know, you just see the way that, like Leo Carlson stepping in and and being able to carve out a role. So, I want to see how long that can last as well, and whether it continues. Whether it's, you know, are the veterans going to get in on on the action here at some point, or, or are we really just going to see success this year determined by uh, the depth of, of you know, let's call it the the twenty somethings and some of those those young players that are taking holds of opportunity because that, to me, is really fascinating and maybe not something that I necessarily would have expected, especially on some of these teams that do have um, you know, more veteran-heavy rosters. So uh, that's what I'll be keeping an eye on for sure. Uh,
0: actually, uh, last one really quickly here for you. Um, we'll, we'll let you go on this. Um, we're on the heels of the GM meetings. Um, is there an update on the protective neck gear process you know, from the league standpoint?
2: Yes, we were able to speak with a couple different people on that front, uh, VP of hockey operations and uh, the league's um, chief medical officer. So we do know um, that there are several prototypes already available to mm-hmm. players, about 10 to 12 options when it comes to wrist uh, protection uh, and, uh, and uh, in terms of like their base layer options. Uh, for for skate cuts Um, in terms of uh, neck guards they are working right now they don't they didn't have as many options uh, in that respect because there just wasn't as much of a demand for it previously but in the past month after of course the tragedy that happened um, in the UK uh, we were told that there are about eight to ten different companies now that have submitted um, their gear to get approved by the league. Uh, And there is obviously a vetting process. They need to meet certain standards uh, as well in order to be sort of included in that mix for players. But at the same time, if a player has something that they want to wear, they are more than welcome, of course, to wear that. And they can take it to their equipment manager uh, of their team and and the managers will know whether that's something the league will approve. But at that point, they do have to still submit it to the league when they're wearing it, um, just so that the NHL knows uh, to do its due diligence and make sure that they have a good product. Uh, but we do know that the league is willing to work with any player, any team, and uh, they're obviously going through the um, product specs from all these new companies that have stepped forward with here, uh, and they're going to come together on uh, as, as wide a variety of, of items as they can uh, for players to choose from. And as I said, there's about 10 to 12 options Uh, in other areas uh, that they can use as well right now uh, and choose from. So lots of of options there for players that want to maybe step up their equipment game.
0: Great stuff. Uh, She's Kristen Chilton. Uh, You can follow her at Kristen underscore Chilton on socials. Uh, We really appreciate it. Uh, We'll connect soon. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Uh, There she is from ESPN, Kristen Chilton. All right, we got to run a break on the other side. Barclay Parnetta, Vancouver Giants GM, the People's GM. Also, we'll connect with Ken Priestley as well. Or Mr. Fix-It coming up here on Sportsnet 650.